Welcome back to Out of the Hourglass. I'm your podcast host, Molly Nolan, and I have the pleasure of welcoming a fourth-generation family-owned business to today's episode. George Williams Sr., George Williams Jr., and Nick Williams from the A.G. Williams Painting Company, based in Pelham, New York, joins me today to talk about family business dynamics and generational transition. I wanted them to share their story as they each have different perspectives on what this transition looks like from when they've come into the business and what they're actually currently working on now to be able to take part in that exit plan. I asked them at the end what advice they would give to other family-owned businesses undergoing generational transitions or that are coming in the future, and they had a lot of advice to give. I want to thank George, George Jr., and Nick for sharing about their transition and getting candid. I hope you enjoy. Today's episode is sponsored by the 2024 Grand Summit, an annual conference for Summit members designed to collaborate, educate, and share best practices. This year's conference is taking place March 20th through 22nd in Savannah, Georgia. We hope to see all of our Summit members there. All right, let us jump into it. I'm thrilled to have a group on today's podcast. It's not just me and another person. It's me and the A.G. Williams team. I want to, before we jump into today's conversation, which is very, very important, I would like to give you each the opportunity to introduce yourselves and, you know, who you are, what you do, um, and also where is A.G. Williams based. So George, George, and Nick, welcome to the podcast. George Sr., let's start with with, with you. Okay, so uh, George Williams Sr., I still try to figure out every morning what I'm going to do, what my role is. <laughs> um, I'm not much into titles, but Brian Nolan gave me the title of president and CEO. So I'm, my role, as I see it, is to make sure everybody's moving in the same direction. And that's what I do. Love it. George Jr., let's go to you. Yeah, first off, thank you for having us on today. We're excited to talk about um, our family business dynamics, because I, I think it's a pretty interesting one. So sure is. I'm I'm George Williams Jr. We keep the name simple in our family. Uh, I'm I'm the VP of operations by title. I was lucky enough to pass on the lunch getter and the uh, bank person to my brother Nick on this call. But I've been with the business full time since 2014. Started off loading trucks and delivering material, uh, working as an admin, HR department, uh, and eventually to where we are now, uh, managing and overseeing our field and office staff doing it all or have done it all yes (laughs) and nick please please welcome give us a a background about yourself yeah sure so i'm nick i'm the uh i'm not the george of the brothers um (laughs) i am one of our field managers i help oversee our fleet um some of our coding technology uh amongst some other uh you know bank running and lunch getting uh duties as well yes Part of being in a small business is we all wear a lot of hats. So um, I do a lot of, I've done all those things as well. The bank running, the lunch getting, the whatever it may be, we all do it. Uh, I think it's part of just- Part of the experience. Part of the experience, part of growing up in the business. Um, Like yourselves, I mean, George, you know, you have two sons in the business. We're a family business here at NOLA Consulting Group. We've got myself and my brother Colin in the business uh, with Brian being the managing partner. So- we understand that family dynamics in a business is a very real thing, and um, it's great to be talking about it. 
And I think it's great to continue to move the conversation forward and make sure others who are out there, because there are a lot of family businesses in home services and uh, it's part of the fun, right? To be able to work with, with your family, but there's also some tricky parts to it. And so it's good to navigate those conversations. So I thank you all for being here and having that discussion with me. Before we jump into family dynamics, let's get a little bit of the history of A.G. Williams, because this is a long-standing legacy business, George. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about uh, the, the business itself and how you became involved. So this year, in July 22nd, the business turns 118 years old. My wow. grandfather came to this country in 1904 from northern Greece. His name was Ratsikas. He went through Ellis Island. They gave him the name of Rogers. So he's painting with a contractor in New York City. Two years later, he decides to open up his own company. He loves Sharon Williams' painting, takes the Williams name. Never change it legally. No way. That's and how it, wow. True story, it's on our website. So he grew the business. He ended up having a couple of retail stores. He went through many recessions. He went through his own pandemic in uh, 1919. He went through the Great Depression and he survived World War I, World War II. He survived. My father came home from the war in 1946 and started to take over the business. It had shrunk because my grandfather was ill. Fast forward to 1973. I'm graduating high school 50 years ago. Can't believe it. 50 years ago. Time I want, yeah. And I wanted, to, I wanted to go to music school. I wanted to be, I was a jazz classical guitar player. And my father said, no, I'm not going to send you up to Boston to sit around and play guitar and smoke pot all day. And I wasn't smoking pot. I was playing music. <laughs> and we didn't go there. So I was going to go to Iona College, which is now my own university. And my father came down with a disease called Cushing syndrome, which is benign tumors on the pituitary gland, oh, which wow. were reoccurring. And it took him seven years to get better. And he said, please help me for a year or two, because he had no way to you know, pay his mortgage to support my mother. So mm -hmm. I, I did that. And... Um, didn't, grew up in the business, you know, the business was done at the kitchen table, right? There wasn't, yep. wasn't sophisticated. It was him in the wintertime. In the summertime, maybe he had six, seven guys. Maybe he was doing, I don't know, $100,000, $150,000 a year at that time. And we had a small little shop right down the street from where we are now. The rent was $75 a month. We had, we had a station wagon, and that was the business. So I didn't know what I was doing. He was sick. Um, I had worked with him over summers and you know, holidays and all that. Um, mm -hmm. So I basically took anything and everything that came through the door and flew by the seat of my pants. And if the men were paid at the end of the week, which they were paid every week, vendors were paid at the end of the month, utilities were paid. I had a few dollars in my pocket. I thought I was profitable. Didn't know that. <laughs> but I learned. And then I started surrounding myself with more successful people, other painting kind, other business people. Got myself involved in an organization and learned and learned and learned and learned and learned and learned. And seven years later, 1980, we're doing about a million a year. And he's well, he's better, mm -hmm. and decides he wants to come back in. Oh, boy, into, into an environment that you have started to really control. Everything changed, right. So that's when the contention started. And that's when problems began with introducing new ideas. And my father was against spray painting. My father was against commercial work. And we just started to do it all. And at, at that point, to make it a double, a double whammy, he came in and my brother came back in. My brother was a studio musician in the 70s. 
And he was a great painter when he was a kid in the 60s. He was really good. For 10 years, he had never been involved in business. He decides to come back in. So I got him and my father now trying to tell me what to do. Oh, no. No one's telling the, me. The head start budding. The head started budding, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's that's basically, you know, that, that's how I started. And here I am 50 years later. We grew the business. And it wasn't all grown because of me. I mean, it was a team effort. My, my brother, my brother's a hard worker. He's not a real savvy business guy, but he's a great technician. And he knows the paint field very well. Um, and my father, I put my father back into sales as he got better. And he, he, um, he got sick again in 1989, really bad. He was out for a year. And I gave him, my father had a great retirement package. It was called his two sons. There you go. So he got he got paid very well from 1987 to the time where he passed in 2000. Does something look a little similar here with the retirement I package? I don't think he has the same package, Mom. No, I don't have. <laughs> they don't know it yet, but uh, but my father was was smart. He he gifted us stock in the early 80s to kind of bind us up and tie us in because we you know we were button heads and talking about leaving and starting our own thing, and he needed us because he needed the income from us and. Um, we grew, we grew, we, 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 we dabbled in real estate in New York and in Florida. And we bought some property a couple of towns away and made enough money and put up the prop, the, the building we're in now, which at that time was a tremendous, tremendous undertaking. And it was, it was huge at the time. Now we've outgrown it. We've got you know, 35 trucks on the road and in the summertime, 75, 80 employees. So, um, well, how I, I would imagine that that period of transition, you know, one, you coming in and running the business while your father was sick. And then seven years later, he wants to get involved again. Your brother's coming into the picture. You obviously probably had started, had changed things, changed the way things were operating from when your father was running the business. How did he handle that change? Um, my father handled it well. Because okay. my father knew that um, his time had his time was over and he just wanted to contribute and, 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 and have something viable to wake up to every day. And I wanted to give him that opportunity. That's a mindset a, that he, he walked back in with that, with that mindset, which he could have been completely on the other side of that. He pounded, well, you know, we pound buttheads a few times, but my father was a great guy. My father, I learned from my dad. I remember going out with him at five, six years old, watching him meet people. He would, on the hood of his truck, write a contract. I watched how he built relationships. And he was a master at it. Um, people loved him. They used to call him in town the mayor. And he was always mm -hmm. smiling, always cracking jokes. He was a real good guy. Real good guy. And I learned I learned that from him. I didn't learn much about painting him, but I learned a lot about how to communicate with people and yeah. sell a project. And he was great. He was good. He was good. It's kind of interesting hearing you say that, how he was ready to let go earlier or transition, where I feel like yourself and Artie are in a different situation. Artie's, Artie's different. Artie has nothing to let. What, what is Artie letting go of? He doesn't really do much on the business side. He has his customers that he services. So my father was ready I, I bought a piece of, we, him and I dabbled in real estate in Florida, we made a few shekels, and we bought a condominium on Marco Island on the water, which Molly, your father, has been to a couple of times. I've heard wonderful things about that. And we bought it for 150000 It's worth $1.5 now. Wow. And I partnered with him on that. And then I bought him out. 
Oh, I bought my family out when he passed. And, um, you know, so he had a place to go to and he knew everything was in good hands up here. So he went, he would go like January 2nd, come back May 15th. So he never fully became well, mm-hmm. you know, so like he was weak and decreasing. And he, he, I guess he said to himself, you know what, these guys are doing okay. I'm, I'm getting an income out of this. Let me leave well enough alone. But he did contribute. Yeah. He would sell his last year in 2003, he sold about $800,000 worth of work in five okay. months. So I amortized that over 12 months. It's not bad for a guy who was no. 79 years old. Well, it also sounds like he was able to fulfill, you know, a, a little bit of still being involved, yet also had transitioned his time in other ways, which we now we know is a major part of succession planning, is that you have to find an, a, another passion of yours that's going to fulfill the time that you had spent working on the business, growing the business. Yeah, his passion was walking. He used to walk from 10, 12 miles a day. That's not my passion. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> So, George, now the the tables have flipped a little bit because now you have two sons in the business and you're probably working on your succession plan and what, you know, what the future looks like for yourself and for the business and for George and Nick being involved. Um, So we'll talk about what that planning looks like. But George and Nick, I would love just to hear your perspectives on entering the family business. You know, I know you, you guys have mentioned when you joined, but how and then how have you approached you know, growing up in the business yourselves. I'll let either one of you start. Nick, you want to start? Sure. So, you know, just just to recap, you know, I, I joined in 2017, shortly after our grandmother died. Um, I was in between jobs at the time and just trying to figure out what I was going to do. And, you know, you know, George Sr. and and Artie, they were gracious enough to give me a part-time job while I was trying to figure stuff out. And there was some help that needed to be done. Um mm-hmm. And just over time, you know, just just getting used to the business and and learning the ropes, you know, it, it became something I wanted to just dive face first into. Um, so over time, you know, we're we're still implementing a lot of new ideas and and trying to make a lot of changes. And one of the things that um, I've brought to the table, a couple of things I brought to the table recently, were some of these different groups like uh, AMP or. Um, I'm going to shout out Painters USA for this one for to introducing us to ISN, um, mm-hmm. and just you know some of these these really awesome groups that are just uh, tremendous and and instrumental in transforming our knowledge base. I love it. It takes it takes new people like yourself to be able to explore new avenues and new networking groups and just doing things differently than what your the previous generation did um and i'll I'll ask you because i'll say it myself i never foresaw myself working in a family business um did you ever see yourself nick like when you were in high school college did you ever see yourself working for ag williams no you know i i I went to school for psychology so unless we start a uh (laughs) link center here you know then it's kind of a (laughs) then then it'll be truly full circle exactly for you (laughs) uh george how about... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> truth be told molly truth be told i begged these two not to come into the business did mm-hmm. i not guys yeah you still tell us it's not too late yeah. it's not too <laughs> late be getting a little too late now <laughs> and, and 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 in 2017 in front of about 500 people i was honored at our church mm-hmm. at our church we had a big dinner and everything and i got nick up there and I asked everyone, should he join the family business or not? Do you remember that, Nick? 
I remember that vividly. <laughs> I think that's what pushed you over the edge. I probably. Yeah. Well, George, can I ask you why why didn't you want them joining the family business? What was your concern? Um, I wanted to, and I thought I thought three generations was enough. Okay. And I always envisioned myself doing something better. Your father was at our hundredth anniversary. And I said, my remember very well in the speech I gave, I said that I didn't realize this was my destiny until mm -hmm. a few weeks before that party. My, wow. I have two, I only have two regrets in life. And anybody who says they don't have any regrets is lying. I have two regrets in life. You know, you know, I've always been a big guy. And lately, I've, at least I've lost 100 pounds. And I've done that mm -hmm. five times in my life. And this, I know this is the last shot. I regret not keeping it off as a young man. And I regret not having a higher education because I've noticed with the people I work with in the company who have degrees and MBAs and all that stuff that they see things and analyze things a lot differently than I do. I'm just like, you know, there's the job. There's the, let's just get it done. Let's move. Let's get it done and get it out of the way. And mm -hmm. they look at it differently. They, they do it better. I think it's so it's fair to have those regrets. But I will say the, the the flip side of that is that you have surrounded yourself with people who have those degrees, who think differently. And that's yeah. part of being a CEO is, yeah. is putting people who are smarter than you in different areas to help you move the business forward. So and you're a smart was, guy for putting I them in. The, was, I didn't say they were smarter. They're just better educated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They're not as smart as you. <laughs> there you go. Um, George, I. When talk about when you you know joined the company, did you ever anticipate being a part of the family business, and how have you approached kind of growing and, and making changes? Yeah, so I vehemently never wanted to join the family business. I saw dad come home late at night, uh, leaving early in the morning, stressed out a lot, and I said, "This is not what I want to do." Throughout college, for the most part. I thought there were, you know, I'll say easier things to do to make a living. And then I realized that nothing worthwhile is really that easy. Mm. Um, so in 2014, when one of our office staff members got ill, I stepped in to kind of help part-time and quickly became full-time. Um, and, and then I started to learn about the business and get a role and start to enjoy it. I, um, Got to work with my dad and uncle at the time. That was great to have that connection, that relationship. I, I remember graduating college and going to see Brian, your dad, and just to get exposed to a different side of the contracting world. Mm -hmm. And meeting the other Summit members showed me that there are really smart people working in this field, in this industry, and it's not something to be frowned upon. It's a business that provides for, you know, 80 families in the area. Absolutely. So it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, so my passion started to grow from that point on. I, I, I always said I don't have a passion so much for painting as I do for business. It doesn't matter if we paint or we do floors or we do this or that. It's, the game is the same. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, developing strategies and processes and systems and working on data. That's really, I think, been my, my, my springboard to learning more about the painting and what we end up doing, but that's really helped my passion. But yeah, I, I did not want to do this <laughs> growing up, um, but here we are and, and I'm happy with where we're at. Oh, yeah. Now I get to work with my brother, Nick. So it's awesome. It's uh, very yeah, cool. We have fun. 
there's definitely benefits of, you know, working with your siblings, working with your parents. Um, yeah, it is, it is fun. And I, I think it's really cool to be able to, you know, Nick, you were talking about, you know, other networking groups you've gotten involved in and George, you know, summit for you when you were first kind of coming into the business, when you realize you're not necessarily just siloed to your company, like there are other organizations, other businesses doing similar things and looking to innovate the way that they do their service or, or how they look at their data, it, you feel like, oh, I'm part of a bigger thing here. Like, this is not just us running a painting business. This is us, like, a part of an industry. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's head trash, I think. I mean, so we totally head trash. We look at our at our friends down in Jersey, Alpine. Those guys are br brilliant. And, they're, and yeah. they, they give us, we have a great relationship with them. Um, and the guys across the country that are really forthcoming with helping and and are very smart and intelligent. So it it's... It's nothing to be uh, embarrassed about being a painter. I think that yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of head trash that you had throughout the years. You told me I had that, yeah, because you know, not getting a higher education, and all my friends were getting a higher education. We became doctors and lawyers. We were well in the financial markets and stuff. Um, and it turns out at the end of the day, I probably did as well as all of them. But um, yeah, it just for me, it was head trash. I've overcome that, mm -hmm. um, but it was just yeah, it was head trash. Well, I, I love that you guys are bringing this topic up because it's been something over the last uh, maybe several podcast episodes that I've done is talking about the trades as a career and the opportunities that exist. I mean, I've talked to an organization that's called Classit that's trying to help the recruiting for the trades and kind of connect with the younger generations through media channels that they like to uh, to watch. Then Bring Back the Trades is an organ nonprofit up in New Hampshire that's trying to give scholarships to young kids to get into the trades. Catherine and I have recorded a podcast that will be coming out um, after, after this one about identifying how you can grow once you've entered the trades, maybe as an apprentice, that there's so many opportunities. There's so much wage potential as well. Yeah. If, if, you, if you attack it the right way. Sure. If you are motivated. Mm-hmm. What you make of it. What you make we of have, it. Yeah. We have a uh, at our church a career day every year. And this year I'm heading it up. And one of the things we're going to talk about are the trades. There's many successful people there who started out working with their hands. And now now I have one friend who has 500 employees. It's amazing. I know this I know this, this call is not supposed to be about promoting trades, rather transition. But I will say that I think the way to get more kids involved in the trades is you got to get to the schools because yes. at least in our, in our area, a lot of the high schools are frown upon the trades in a big way. Like when they have career days, they don't want to see contractors there. They want lawyers and. You know, I whatever. hate to hear that. Yeah. It's terrible. Cause they're, they're, they're really turning their back on a, a large percentage of their students who might not be college bound. Yeah. And they push college and it's, and yeah, they're not all meant for yeah. it for sure. Hey, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. And I, and I, uh, it, yeah. I, I hope that any um, school ad admin that are listening to this recognize that there's opportunity to bring contractors into those, those, those job fairs. It's, it's an important conversation to say. It, the least. it is. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about transition. Let's talk about succession planning over at AG Williams. I know George senior, you are working through a succession plan with your coach, I've spoken to Brian a little bit about it. Can you share what you're working on now about that transition? Um, well, I have my I have my retirement plan, 
Okay. All, all set up. I'm going to work to the morning of my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what we. That's what we're planning for, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> good beginning of George and Nick. There. How how um how thrilled about that are we? Yes, I, I love working in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> There's no the best way to operate. Yeah, <laughs> right. Let me interject. Let me interject. First of all, we have a crisis plan. We have a crisis letter. Brian and I worked on that, and I'm going to rewrite it again. We have a wonderful team here, other than George and Nick. We have a controller, this wonderful sales manager. We have a resource manager. We're now hiring a marketing director. So we have the team in place. The last two years have not been my best years from a health standpoint. And I wasn't here a lot. And the business did well. We did well. I was on the phone a lot with them, but they, they basically did everything. Mm -hmm. um, so right now the plan is to create an IDP for George to take over the role of president sometime in 2025, me remaining a CEO. And then two years later from then, he'll assume that role of CEO and president, or maybe Nick will become the, the uh, president, and uh, I'll be chairman. So I still want to keep working for as long as God will allow me to, if I'm contributing in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. if, if I'm the irrelevant old guy in the corner of the room, not being listened to, I'll pack my stuff up and I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Okay. Um, I've got to contribute. I've got to, I've got to give something back. I've got to do, I've got to feel like I'm worthwhile. Absolutely. And, and so I get that. Yeah. That's basically, you know, I know your grandfather worked till 75, right? Yes. And yeah. I can imagine Brian will likely be similar, but it's, and, but it's because it's your, you're passionate about what you do. And so while you may not be in the day to day all the time anymore, you, you're still looking to hold on to something. Well, you, you know, it, this is my baby. I yeah. mean, you know, I, you know, I've been doing this 50 years now. How do I stop? And, I and the truth be told, with Nick and George and Paul and Jose Cabrera, our controller, and Leanne and the whole staff here, and it's such a, it's the best culture we've ever had in this company. And it's one that I look forward to coming to work. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to do everything anymore. You know, I, I get to pick and choose what I want to do. And I like relationship building. I like sales. I like mentoring. And that's what I do. And I don't do, I'm not here as, like, once we're done with this call at 2 o'clock, I'm out of here. You know? Yeah, you're going home? Yeah. No, I'm going to like go see. Summer, summer, summer Friday? Yeah, I'm going to have a couple Molly. of drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, Is it? I, ha I have to say, Molly, I think what's important for the leading generation, the, the generation that's transitioning out, yeah. is they need to be ready for it and accept their role or, or know, have role clarity of what they're doing, yes. whether they're in a company or moving on. Otherwise it's never going to work. It won't, it won't work the way it's supposed to. I, I think you would agree. Right. Senior. I, 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 I do, I do agree. And you know, I have a lot of head trash on, you know, well, this generation is not going to do it as well as I did it. And that's just head trash. They're going to do it better. They're going to do it differently. I think they're, they're going to be great. They can do it better. They're gonna yeah. be fine, and they'll figure it out. You know. And well, when it, when you're obviously so letting go is a big part of this. And so, are you doing anything now to kind of practice the letting go? Are you letting? Are you doing less things now in the day to day? Handing over decision making responsibilities to Nick or to George or anybody yeah, else I, on the team? I think I am, but guys, I don't have much to do with the floor division, right? Other than to complain when it's not making money right oh uh, yeah you, you've let go of that but that wasn't your as you call your baby 
No, I I went into that for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you had a much easier time letting that go. And 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 on the painting side, you do you let go, but sometimes something happens and you swoop in. So I think mentally, mentally, you sometimes it's hard. So my my door gets knocked on a hundred times a day, (laughs) and Molly, people come, you know, field managers come. Oh, I have a problem. So my new thing with them is. You have a problem. Tell me the problem. Tell me your solution before I give you more. I think I want to hear what they have to say. And the same thing with George and Nick. I want to hear what you guys have to say first before I just tell you what I would do. And that seems to be working. That's you know uh, kind of reverse engineering it. And I am um, I am doing less. I'm not you know. I mean, ten years ago I was running to the paint store. I was running materials around. I was you know still in the back of the morning, five in the morning, helping them all try. I don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't get here early. Yeah. yeah. I think the other end of it too is to transition planning. One of the steps is cascading that down to the rest of the company. Yes. Which we've talked about, we haven't really done. So what, what we find is that when George senior is away on vacation or he's out ill, they come to me, which is fine, which is great, which is what we want. Mm -hmm. But when he's there and he's in the office, they go to him, which is what we don't want. (laughs) Right. We got to get it down to them. So is there is there a discussion of of when that that communication plan is going to be released to the rest of the company? This year. This yeah. year. Yeah, we're Ryan, yeah. Ryan and I are working on it. You know, and I'm I'm beginning to send people to George. He leads most of the meetings. And I think you we did a leadership meeting yesterday. And I think the, the men in the meeting, people in the meeting were more attentive when you were speaking than when I was speaking. Um, um, and I think they respect you and they look up to you and you've gained their respect. Um, I want Nick to start to lead some meetings so he can develop as well. Uh, I, I think I think it'll be, it'll be an easier transition than we think or than I think. I think the hard part is gonna be is what do I wanna hold on to Mm-hmm. What do I want to do to contribute? And I'm figuring that out with your dad. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't have, I really don't have any hobbies. You fall the skis, you run, you this and that. that. That's not who I am. Yeah, which is a big part. So there, there's two things that I want to hit here. One being, we we hit it a little bit earlier, but as a part of the succession planning, having passions, hobbies outside the business is going to be really important for you to begin to identify because you will still provide value to A.G. Williams in some capacity, but you have so much still to give. Where are we going to redirect that to so that George and Nick and the rest of the team can take off, take, take the burden of A.G. Williams off of you and move that ball forward? Um, well, this, the second thing I want to hit is it's very obvious that this is this transition, this this succession doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen over a couple months or over a year. This is a long thought out process and it's done very intentionally. Okay. And you're and you're being very careful about how and when you do things. You know, back in the 90s, everything was work-life balance and you had to retire at 65 or 62 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Matthew Kelly wrote that book, Off Balance. Did you read that book? I did not. I know of I know of his many books, but I have not read Off Balance. So basically what I got out of that book was whatever works for you is your balance. 
So Elon Musk likes working seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and that's what floats his boat. That makes him happy to do it. So, you know, just I could last, I give it like last night. Last night I, I got up at 2.30 in the morning, couldn't go back to sleep. I was here at five o'clock. I didn't have to be here at five o'clock. I just came in, I knocked out a lot of paperwork and I felt good about it. And, yeah. you know, so whatever works, and, I'll what's important to work in the future that work-life balance kevin and i have talked about this on a podcast probably two years ago at this point we, we called it chasing your primary aim so everybody's work-life balance looks different because it's about what you want and about how you want to spend your time so just like you you know you were saying and there are times in life where your your focus changes that there's times where you're balancing more into the work life versus then balancing more into the personal life because of things right. that you have. And, and so recognizing when and how you need to pull those strings um, is important. I yeah. think, I think though, that there seems to be a disconnect between our generation, Molly, and the older generation, yeah. uh, what that work-life balance is. You know, I, I, not that I don't value working hard and doing that, but I, I think I have a different perspective and George Sr., maybe Brian, whoever. Yes, um, for sure. Yeah. Brian is working on a Saturday morning, doing things on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. And I'm like getting emails. I'm like, can I, can I not answer this email right now? Right. On Saturday and, after. And, and I don't think one's right or wrong. I just think it's different. And yes, we handle it our own way in a different way. Correct. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And that's just part of diff different generations approach things differently. And it's the biggest thing is being aware of how, how we, how we operate. And accepting it. And accepting it. Yes. <laughs> well, that well, is the I, acceptance part is key. That's yeah. George and, and, and Megan are presenting us with our first grandchild. Very exciting. Congratulations. So I think that'll George. change my life a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. You'll know. have a new hobby. You'll have a new, have hobby. A new hobby. There you go. Grandpa. Oh, and I'll have it. to work more to provide. So yeah. look, we'll, we'll really there you go. It's, it's, there you go. I told you it happened. Yeah. yeah. It's like it was planned. That's planned all along. <laughs> um, so uh, so George Sr., you're letting go. You're, you know, you're making your way on a right. on a on a good cadence out of the business. So George and Nick, this is that your your opportunity to step up. And obviously, as part of that plan, there are skills or competencies that George has already has that you guys have to replace absolutely so i would say to you know to both of you what are what are things that are each of you working on right now in anticipation of this transition happening yeah so the main thing i'm working on I, i'm always trying to better my financial knowledge and the mm -hmm. management of cash in the business learning from george senior and jose our controller and other advisors uh, but the most important thing I think I need to work on is my relationship building skills. And not that I'm not good at it or capable, but it's a it's a more of a concerted effort to do that, where I think it comes more naturally to George Sr. And he spoke about watching his dad build relationships on the hood of his car. I mean, I've done the same in the hood of the car, but I've watched him in networking events in church and everything. And he's a natural relationship person. You know, it's mm -hmm. it just... He's awesome at it. It's fantastic. And it's something that I need to adapt my skill set to to be good at, I believe. So I, I, with Brian, we're working on a, a like defined plan on how to how to get there and how to fill those shoes. Uh, when the Could you share comes. one or two ways that you're thinking about work, like how you're working on those development skills? Yeah, we have a, a relationship grid that we're using, nice. identifying different categories of people. Um 
next steps, you know, trying to learn everything about them, birthdays, what are their hobbies, stuff like that, and then making an effort to actually utilize it through visits and taking them out to dinner or golf or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and then if they don't work out, then you move them off your list and then bring someone else on to fill that seat. Um, so working on that, and I, and I do it my own way, but now it has to be a concerted effort to bring in value and, biz and work to the business. So I, I'm not the tech guy. Artie's our tech guy. And okay. he's going to be our next tech guy, hopefully. Oh, Nick. All right. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was going to mention, you know, we between, you know, I'm going to throw Nat into this as well, because he's up there, you know, he's he's one of our field uh, supervisors. And between him and Artie, they, there's nothing that they can't figure out uh, paint wise or mechanically. Mm -hmm. And just trying to capture that knowledge and retain it for the future generations aside from ourselves, but uh, all the apprentices we want to bring in and, um, you know, the other lead painters and just being able to to adapt their skills and keep educating them on other methods they might not be familiar with. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's that's very key for us. And it's and you're, like part you're trying of to groups. So yeah. trying to take all of this knowledge that these people have. That's just that they could almost like they could breathe this information or they could sleep and, and share this information. Pretty much. And you're just trying to cram it, like take as much, consume as much of it as you can to be able to, to internalize and be able to, to teach and develop the next, the next generation. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, like I said, th th there's so much knowledge between the two of them with, with painting and stains and all this other stuff that, you know, we, we want to capture it and, and preserve it for, for, if not for ourselves, but for the trade as a whole. So it's not lost. Yeah. I, Molly, if I may, I think um, one of the other things that we did or we are doing, and it's relevant to other family businesses that have siblings coming up, is Nick and I have had dialogue with each other about what we each want to see happen or what our visions are, what we want to do, so that there was no conflict in the future. And, and we both identified what our strong suits were. And Nick, Nick's very tech and ops focused. So He'd be great at learning that and moving into an operations role. And and I think I I um I counter that or I or I I fill the void on the other end on the relationships or I can and the business side of things. I mean, Nick, would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. You know, we've we've gotten pretty much to where we need to be um in our relationship and and we keep developing it. And like George said, we we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. And thankfully, we complement each other on those areas. Yeah. You you guys build relationships outside of the business. You don't realize that you're doing it, but you're doing it. Well, that's I mean, what I mean. I, I do it. I just don't do it at, like you do it, like property managers who become your friends. You know? that's, that, that just happens over time and experience and years. Right. You know, I've joined a lot of different groups when I was your age. You know, some of them reluctantly and... Went, went to these meetings with butterflies in my stomach and just it's hard just to network began, yeah, yeah just began to talk and and learn and you, and you learn they're, they're all in the same boat i joined it i joined a group when i was 29 years old called the executive association of westchester it was all guys who took over family business and i thought these guys were all big shots and there's all there was only one real smart guy in the group and he was a master of network he taught me and and you know what you realize that you know, no one's better than you. You're not better than anybody else, but no one's better than you. Hopefully, no one from that group sees this podcast. 
<laughs> there's only one smart guy. <laughs> no, there's only you know who it is. There's only one true yeah. elite businessman in that group. And it wasn't me. And, um, you know, but that's how you do it. You, you, you join Vistage. Vistage was great. Look how, look how many friends you've made in the Nolan Consulting Group. That's phenomenal. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, yeah, so. yeah, you're surrounding yourselves with with people that you want to learn you want to learn from exactly. uh, over time. Right. Um, so so I'm hearing you know with with both George you know George making the transition and RD as well at some point it's the technical skills and the relationship building that you guys are looking to to work on replacing. Is there any anything else that you're you feel like it's difficult to replace that you you don't quite have a grasp on yet but you're going to be working on? Our our RD and George's sales replacing okay. their tangible their physical their sales is going to be a challenge i mean still this year they're at least one one two in sales already you and already yeah, well, yeah january we led the team in sales yeah yeah i mean last year i wasn't even here and i had the most sales and highest revenue <laughs> yeah so that's, uh, that's my problem <laughs> yeah exactly you, you know what it is guys and you guys see it all the time i'm on i'm on this this phone all the time. You see, when I go home, I'll sit in the recliner. I'm on the phone till seven eight o'clock. Just talking to people, keeping the relationship going, and you know, oh, today's your birthday. Happy birthday! How's your wife? Or just stuff like that. You know, you yeah. under promise, over deliver. Say what you're going to say. Do what you say, and keep your word. And be honest, and have high degree of integrity, and you'll be fine. So that's that's what that's what it's all about. Yeah. You're making sales in a time you don't even realize it sometimes, George. You're just you're just calling up to say happy birthday and you're making a sale. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Nick and, and George, I understand you spearheaded the startup and the growth of the flooring division. What how what was that experience in like and what have you learned fr from that from that growth? We learned a lot of what not to do. Yeah. That that was really quick. We lost a lot of money over five years. <laughs> so um, that's a real learning situation. Uh, you know, we learned how to properly manage inventory, how to, how to, um, price properly, how to, how to, um, solve problems quickly, mm -hmm. which was pretty, which was really important. Um, you certainly learned customer service, customer service, yep. marketing. I mean, we learned everything. We, George yeah. already really were hands off in the development of the vision. And uh, he really let Nick and I and Paul run with it. Um, and we failed, truthfully. To yeah, but with, with failure comes so many lessons. And I mean, it's a springboard for for the wins in the future. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we're finally turning things around, thankfully. We made some hard decisions over the last few months. Um, and I think that was probably the biggest learning was to make changes quickly when you see things aren't going right and mm -hmm. adapt to that. And I think we did that with the floor decisions. We made a lot of wrong decisions, but we made those decisions quickly and then we changed it and then changed it, changed it. And I think we finally found the right formula. Um, so I, and that's what I learned. I mean, Nick, do you have anything? Yeah. I mean, to, to circle back to the technology part of it, it's, it's um, what I've learned is that it's not a one, one-stop shop. It's not a one solution fits everything. Every, Unlike painting drywall, every floor is different. Um, you know, just just based off of the chemical makeup, how old the the floor is, and et cetera, et cetera. So when when we go up against you know these cookie cutter companies that are just doing the same thing day in day out without really knowing why, at least we're able to give a more expertise, uh, a more experienced eye 
onto how to approach the solution. And it's, it's, it's been great helping us, um, on the commercial end of it, uh, you know, being able to get projects that we probably never would have if, if it wasn't for that knowledge, but just being able to learn that over the past few years has been instrumental. Yeah. George Senior, was it hard for you to not get as involved in this new division startup, especially while watching it? You know, it's messy. Business is messy. Startup life is a whole other situation. Well, I, I had I had to be hands off so they would learn. I wanted them to build something on their own. Yeah. So they would see what it's like. And I don't I call it a successful failure. Mm-hmm. Because they learned a lot. And and now they're turning the corner. We are, it looks like January looks like we'll still lose a little bit of money, but the but the the gross profit and the realized revenue was up per job. They made a lot of good changes. And we scaled down a little bit and we're going to end up going more into commercial. Flow. I mean, Nick's, Nick's working on a $250,000 project right now. That we're looking to close. Nice, Nick. Yeah. Feels good. So, so That's we, great. Yeah, I, it, it wasn't difficult for handle. I didn't want to be involved. That's, I mean, that's impressive because I, yeah. I mean, I can see the, the, the need to feel like you got to jump in when, the, you know, year one, things aren't going well. Year two, they're, they're you know, they're, they're struggling to, and and just naturally as, as a part of the, the business environment, but to keep yourself like disciplined to let them work through it is not it was, easy. It was tough as I saw the money being siphoned from the paint division <laughs> to feed the floor division, but it's all right. They learned. It was but, a million, it was a million dollar lesson, but it's okay. But Nikki, Nick, sorry, grew a passion around floors, which ultimately grew his passion in the family business. And technology. And technology, which I don't know, Nick, if you would have had that same leap had it not been for the floors. Like if you'd be in the same spot you are now with paint. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, who knows? That's Nick, cool. Molly, Nick is now a certified concrete coatings inspector. Right, Nick? Wow. I'm a level one concrete coating inspector through that AMP organization. Cool. Was, yeah. what, what was that like? What was What's the process to be certified? So it's a, it's a week-long class. Okay. Uh, they teach you everything you need to know to inspect concrete and the various methods, how concrete is um, poured and the chemical makeup of it and just the, the different ways of preparing it and uh, surface prep and all this, this the different technologies that you might come across. So yeah. you can morph that knowledge. Yeah. Just because you're in the paint business, I mean, you have to stay in paint. You can morph that knowledge into a consulting end of the business and put yourself out there to inspect concrete coatings for other companies. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. cool. Concrete consulting. That's cool. <laughs> and I get, I get, I get a fig on it. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, boundaries and separating business from family life. I mean, we're real good at that. Yeah. Are you good at? Are you good? At, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, oh. No, that's a joke. Yeah, that's no a joke. boundaries. <laughs> well, because you guys are are you guys you guys are tight. I mean, I I know that you spend time together outside of outside of work, so. Sounds like there's no boundaries at the moment. Do you do? Does the Nolan clan talk about business on Christmas Day dinner? N- no, but no. we. But there are we other do. holidays where it comes up. <laughs> yeah. But not Christmas Day dinner. <laughs> so I grew up, like I said, business was done at the kitchen table. Yeah. I mean, my mother answered the telephone and then took down estimates stuff, and um, so that that's all I'm used to. It's very difficult. If an idea pops in my head, and I see one of these guys in the house, 
I want to get it out. It's very difficult for me. Um, I've stopped sending emails to my staff on Saturdays and Sundays. Wow, <laughs> that deserves a round of applause. That yeah, is- yeah. for that. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's difficult for me because that's yeah. all I know. Yeah, but I'm trying. We're getting better at it. But we do have a great time, the three of us, when we go on our outings, whether it be a baseball outing or vacation or something. We have a blast. We have a good time. Yeah. I So I agree. We don't have boundaries. I think there, I don't mind talking about business in most times, but there are mm-hmm. some days when you're just fried or burnt and you like, you just don't want to hear it. Talk about it. Yeah. I get it. But, and we're all on different, different wavelengths. So senior might be really into it and I might not be. And one of us has to adapt to that. But the, the, the most important thing with boundaries, I think, or the, the thing that I think about the most is when we talk about business around our mom or my wife or non-people 100%. in business, they feel very left out. And I don't want that. Yes. I, I don't want them to feel out or awkward about it. So that's why I think boundaries are important around other around family. others. Yeah. We've experienced that as well. Like if we go off and do a, like a run, the three of us, we can spend a few minutes on business and then move on to other topics. But when we're a rep, when we're all together in immediate family, like, yeah, my mom doesn't want to hear about the business anymore. She, she doesn't know what's going on. And yeah. Colin's wife, my husband, I mean, it's, it's tough because they, they want to be involved in the conversation, but they can't contribute to that. So knowing when is the appropriate time, you know, outside of the workplace to have those conversations, yeah. that's a good boundary to have. I think so. It's hard to do, but. It is hard. It, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we'll say. You know, can we just have five minutes to talk about this this one business item, and then and then we'll move on. And it's like that we have acknowledged it that it's not we're not going to keep going with it, but it's not easy. the The lines are always blurred. Yeah. So you know, we have a lot of meetings around here. I think there's too many meetings. Personally, I like those. I like those quick huddles. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm you know, following like, Brian's meeting playbook. <laughs> I don't have that many meetings. Read the book Death by Meeting. I mean, I mean big big companies now put a dollar figure on what a meeting costs, and they're eliminating it's a, a it's a generational thing, George. Okay, okay, I, get it. Yeah. <laughs> I can get more out of in a meeting. The one minute conversation in the hallway. Get all I need to know and move on. You're the king of meetings. Just want to let just want to let the whole. Nolan Summit Group, no, on this podcast. Quick huddles, meeting. not meetings, huddles. <laughs> yeah, if it's a 30-minute huddle. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah what, what's a huddle versus a meeting? Yeah. What's the difference? <laughs> 30 <laughs> seconds, it's a minute, that's my huddle. In spite of what you might think, Molly, from these two guys, mm-hmm. and I think they'll, they'll agree with me, I am very well respected and loved around here. Am I not, guys? Where? Yeah. In the office? Yeah. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah. Everywhere you are. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Everyone speaks very highly of you. Yeah. So what is, George Sr., what's your hope for the business? Like what, you know, in in the next 20, 20 to 30 years, like what, you know, you're <laughs> passing this, like, but do you think about that? Like, you know, when yeah. you pass this business on and George and Nick ha- have it, like what what do you hope for this to become? It's it's over a hundred years old. It's been a legacy. Do you want that legacy to keep going? Thirty years now, I hope I'm still coming here at five in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, um, I I want what's most important to me. And when I wrote our mission statement in 1986, when we moved into this building, 
I said, we never wanted to be the biggest. We wanted to be the best. And in doing that, in being a big fish in a big pond, New York metropolitan area is a hard area to dominate. You're not going to dominate it. But we are probably the, the most respected um, painting contract in Westchester and Fairfield County uh, as far as not only our work, but our integrity. Um, there's not a, I don't think there's an employee or vendor that can speak badly of, of the Williams family. We pay our bills. We, I mean, I know contractors that don't pay their people every Friday. We meet up payroll, hella high water. It sounds like a basic thing. It is a basic thing. Sounds like something silly to say, but, but it's not. It's rampant in the industry where people don't get paid. Yeah. And we we help our employees reach their goals. We help them buy houses. We help them buy cars. We, we, we really reach out. In fact, you talk about a next passion. One of the things I want to do is I've been wanting to do this for 20 years. I want to start a foundation in my father's name. Amazing. Specifically to help the employees here. That's a great passion. Yeah. And there's a lot of work to do to get that rolling. I know your father's going to help me out. He's did his... He's had the foundation going, yes. I Nolan you, Suttering Foundation. Yeah, I thought you needed millions of dollars to do it. You don't. No. You get yeah. scrappy. Like you do yeah. with starting a business. You get scrappy and you figure it out as you go. Yeah. So maybe that's what I'll do. But I want the legacy to continue of the of the, the integrity of the family name. The Williams name is gold in this industry, in this area. I want that to continue. That's the legacy I would like to see move on. Keep going on. I love it. All right. One more question before we wrap this thing up. I'd love to hear from you guys. You know, there's a lot of other businesses that are either going through this now or will be going through this transition you know, between generations within a business in the future. What advice from your own experiences would you give to other families, other family owned businesses in this position as they look forward towards this? You're asking me? I'm asking all of you. If I could go back 20 years, I'd start having an exit strategy then and start it early. Even if you don't want to retire, you want to slow down, start the exit exit strategy as soon as you can. I met a I met a gentleman in Florida, about 10 years older than me, and he had a food truck business in Canada. He had 75 food trucks. Wow. Started when he was 19. He retired at 39. So how'd you retire so young? He says, the day I started, I had an exit strategy. So there you go. George and Nick, we are already behind on that then. Yeah. We don't have our, <laughs> <laughs> our exit strategy in place. Both there. <laughs> George, George has a great exit strategy. He's got a wife with a New York State teacher's pension. You kidding me? You're, nice. you're golden. Okay. True. Good point. Um, I have a few takeaways for people or action advice. Um, mm -hmm. First is have dialogue around what each person in the transition wants and be really honest and open about it. Um, be clear on what those roles are for each person during the transition and when responsibilities start to shift, uh, whether that be through decision matrix or whatever. Putting it mm -hmm. on pen and paper is important because it makes it real and it keeps it with a time frame in mind. Um, I think the leading generation needs to be comfortable with the next steps before anything can take place. Because if they're not comfortable with it, you're just going to hamper progress. So they have to be fully on board and ready for this to happen. Um, and then lastly, I think the rising gen needs to be respectful and mindful of what the leading generation 
did and how they did it to get to where the company is at that point. And not saying that's what is going to get to the next level, mm-hmm. but to to um, understand that and be mindful of it and be gracious of it is going to be important because you don't want anyone to feel bad. You don't, you're not poo-pooing it or whatever the case is. It's but, a really good point. Yeah. So. Yeah. There has to be a mutual respect on with the intention we're each trying to do good things here. Exactly. Listen, if you guys want me to go half a million dollars a year, just put it in my account. I'm good. <laughs> he's out. He's working on his foundation. He's, he's down in Marco Island. He's good. Yeah. Uh, Nick, how about you? And any advice you would give? Yeah, I you know I would say the biggest thing is open, honest, and transparent communication. Yeah. None of this works if if people are holding secrets or you know withholding their feelings from one another, and it's it just makes what is already a difficult process even more difficult. Um, and then also towards towards the rising generation, you know, try every seat on the bus and see which one you like the best. Oh, such a good point. Because you never know. You, you might like something that you never thought you would have liked. And yeah. you you gain perspective by sitting yeah. on every seat in the bus and you you understand the role that each each seat plays in making the whole the whole engine work at the end of the day. That as well. And plus when you look at it from the outside looking in you know, the, the, the field guys, the rest of the staff, they'll, they'll have a lot more respect when you work your way up through the ranks, as opposed to just starting at the top immediately. Yes. So I shared with your father, my, my next career. What is that? I, I love telling jokes. I'm not going to tell one here because it'll probably be inappropriate, but oh, uh, I would say this is a great way to, to, to end the conversation. I'm Let's trying to think of one that I, and I love telling jokes. What, what I want, I'm serious with it. I'm telling them, okay. I have a lot of friends who own restaurants. I want to go to restaurants and go table to table and tell a joke. That is and hysterical. It, yeah. So I'm, maybe at the, at the Grand Summit, I'll do that. We'll see. At breakfast or lunch, there'll be a lot yeah. of different rounds. You make yeah. you, you make your way through. Make my round. Yeah. yeah, that's a great practice venue. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, I thank you all for being here. This was a really enjoyable conversation. I know it can feel tricky, you know, making sure that everyone feels comfortable about this this topic. But I think you guys have handled it really well, and you clearly have had those important uh, conversations. And it's exciting to see this rising gen making their way. And George, I mean, you said you had no passions, but I'm here in foundation. I'm here in jokes uh, table side. That you're gonna find ways to keep yourself busy. So, my hero in summit besides Brian Nolan is Matt Jesse, because. With his cars, I've yeah. always done that, but he took it to a professional level. So maybe I'm going to do that. Uh, look at Molly, that. We've added a third. We've added a third. There action. you go. <laughs> Molly, you made this comfortable. And I thank you yeah. and your dad and your organization for uh, allowing us to do this. Oh, yes, of course. It's you. it's truly a pleasure and it's an honor to be able to speak with you guys on this. Um, and, you know, let me even interject with some of my own, my own family dynamics um, as a part of it. So guys, thank you. Appreciate the conversation and... I look forward to seeing some of you in Savannah. Yes, we'll see you. Then. All right. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you visit our website, www.nolandcg.com.